the Wheelie Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Welcome, dear listener, to Podcast 69, and today's the day we've been waiting for for a long time. How long have you been trying to get this guest on the show, I've been trying. Richard? I've been trying for as long as I can remember. I think the last time we, we talked about it originally was last Christmas, so Christmas before last now, because it was mm. 2007, yeah, and then you and I were talking about trying to get Robin Page over here to give us all his knowledge and wisdom, and at last... We've got him over. Yeah, but, you know, the problem is uh, I'm a country bumpkin and uh, I didn't know what a podcast was or is. <laughs> and so I didn't know what I was supposed to do. You know, it sounded to me as if I'd got to come and get beans out of a, We were going picking broad <laughs> beans or something. I, I really am not no up idea, to speed no. with all this. So yeah. I, I, there are no beans here, a cup of tea. And uh, to me, this looks like... A broadcast, a wiggly wigglers, and so it's podcast what it is, really, means yeah. nothing to me whatsoever. Right, right. Yeah, we did. But you know, this is all. I tried to show you earlier on, didn't he, on Heather's machine what a podcast was. Yeah, and so this is all an eye opener to me. And here we sit in your poor little hovel here, um, <laughs> you know, managing as best we can in the cold. Yeah. And uh, and so it's really an eye opener, educational for me. And so right. this is my first ever podcast. Uh, the Telegraph have threatened me with one, but I've avoided that so far. I don't know how you dare mention the cold. I've put the heating on especially for you at 10 o'clock this morning. Really? really? And but she the, didn't tell me either. But, you know, the icicles by the window are not <laughs> dripping. Um, but the blowfly is moving, so it must be warm. There is yeah, a blowfly. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's right. Yeah, yeah, the 31st of January and there's flies yeah. in the house yeah, yeah. anyway. It's yeah. so warm, isn't it? Well, yeah. I, may, I mean, is that a, an indication of the season or your cleanliness? I did <laughs> see... <laughs> a fighting dog. Yeah, I did, see, I did see butterflies flying in Dorset in November. Really? I saw red admirals flying in Dorset, which I thought were amazing. And so the season is warmer and uh, obviously the inside of your house and the outside of your house is very appropriate for blowflies. Climate you for change? That, <laughs> Climate change? I, I am a prophet of doom. I think uh, the whole system has flipped. I won't be around to suffer it, but they've got big trouble. Right, we've got loads of feedback to get through and I suppose we have to apologise for last week's catastrophe, don't we, Rich? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a podcast that went a bit, slightly bit wrong Ooh, and a bit, uh, we, yeah. we were a bit oh, we wired. Oh, we got fretty, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We, we wound each other up a bit. Yeah, but we love each other again now and obviously we all still love Farmer Phil. Um, but here we go. We've got a bit of feedback from Di Tiddy, who's proper poorly, so um, hope you get better soon, Di. And she says... The thing is, I'm supposed to be listening to your podcast to help me get better, you know, more relaxed, less anxious, and I came out of your catastrophe podcast feeling like I'd done 10 rounds with Amir Khan. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry, sorry about that. Um, But she does say that there's a wonderful review at the Centre of Alternative Technology on the Wiggly book, and she uh, scanned it in for me, and so if you want to see it, go to their catalogue. And she also says that she is from Cornwall, and when we had the pasty tasting session, right, um, she wants to tell us that the pasties are called tiddyoggies, tiddyoggies, tiddyoggy, and she says 
that they're named after her family, the Tiddies. Where are oh, you right. from, Robin? Cambridge. We don't have pasties, but I love pasties. Yeah. And you had a pasty tasting. We did. We got oh. the uh, Dutchy recipe book, and Ricky made these pasties. Oh. They were really good. They were a tasty treat. That was when you and Phil were doing your well, tour of the Can US, I said, right? tell you where my favourite pasties are? You certainly can. Turk's Head, St Agnes, Isle of Scilly. Oh, those pasties. I'd kill for. Really? Turk's Head. Oh, Did gosh. you eat the crust? Oh, yes. Oh. oh, yes. Even though I'm anorexic, I ate the crust. <laughs> it's good. Okay, and we've got Rosemary Moon, who's the food writer, and she says that she's just listened to number 65 really good one and we've also got a little bit of feedback from the um, lady who used to be in charge of the cat's protection group. <laughs> oh dear Rich. <laughs> oh yeah you can imagine what this says. Who you? says I have two suggestions for Richard. One, <laughs> Heather sends you on a listening skills course or two, Karen locks you in a car with a great big cat and let's see who wins the argument. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, can I come in on yes, cats? Yes, you can. Because uh, my vice chairman on the Countryside Restoration Trust is uh, a farmer in Norfolk called Chris Knights and yeah. he has a lot of ground nesting birds. One of them is a stone curlew, a very endangered bird, and so he has got trouble with things that eat birds that are on the ground. And one of those problems are cats and stray cats. Yeah. And suddenly his problem disappeared, as did all the cats. How? An eagle owl turned up in a little spinny. And the eagle owl has apparently eaten all the cats. Good so, man. you know, absolutely uh, I think we've got to... <laughs> introduce uh, in areas where cats are a problem eagle owls and you know we all love birds we all love predator birds <laughs> that's inspired and so you Such know it's a shame i can't buy you a pint after we finish this <laughs> you are both bad men and i'm not going to let you drag me down to this row don't you like eagle owls uh, come here noah puss, 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 puss. <laughs> i did get scratched i just come back from kenya and you'll see this wound here if you look very carefully. Massive. It, it's, uh, and I went to the Nairobi Animal Orphanage and they had an orphan leopard cub. Oh, wow. And what a little sweetie it was. But even at, I don't know how old he was, six weeks, two months, claws like razors and teeth like razors, goes on his back to play. And then like cats do, they shoot the back legs out. Your cats have got little claws. This thing has got five razors. There go. <laughs> Don't want to meet his mother. Mm, definitely not. Did you see that tiger who's uh, adopted those little piglets? I think mm. that was in the Telegraph, and they put mm. stripy jumpers on them. Amazing. <laughs> That's quite sport. a worrying thing, really, because yeah. I mean, having tried to foster calves, or having had to foster calves on cows, and they kick. The idea of fostering anything onto a tiger sounds like a very dangerous occupation to me. Oh, and you know the latest on farm fostering, don't you? No. Um, you've got to foster calves uh, with gay bulls. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but not, but not, yeah. not if you're a Roman Catholic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, we've got two gay ganders on our farm. Have you? Yeah. End of that conversation. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't going anywhere. Moving on to yeah. a Swede. <clears throat> we have another hedge, Heather. And it says, um, yes, hedge is pronounced hey. <laughs> no. Hey, Heather. 
And we've annoyed this Swede. Now, the last Swede that we had on the show wanted to um, compost and use bokashi bins to ferment their kitchen waste. All was well and good, but... This one says, The thing is, last year I tried to place an order from you. I moved from UK to Sweden. And what did you lot tell me? That Sweden wasn't in the EU and you wouldn't talk to us. Really? <laughs> oh, oh, no. oh, dear. Oops. Yeah. So, really sorry there, Stephen. Um, we've made friends now and he's forgiven us and he's ordered his Bukashi bucket. Right. There we are. Anyway, he's... Um, yes, it says because we accused him of using a different voltage <laughs> so we wouldn't hand his, handle his order. So, I'm really sorry about that, Stephen, but nice that you've ordered. And what I will say is we've now got listeners all over the world. I looked at our stats and we've got listeners in China, Japan, we've got listeners in Sweden, Italy, France, Germany, all over the place. But we need you to review us on iTunes. If you possibly could, please go to your iTunes and review us and obviously subscribe by clicking iTunes. Anyway, enough of all that feedback. Let's just chuck it away because... Robin Page is here. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to know about the countryside restoration. Yeah, place. yeah, we do really. I mean, that's, that's one of the, th- the things I realised who you were and what you were about. Some time ago now, I spoke to one of your colleagues. I came over to, um, to Lark Rise in Cambridgeshire. I thought it was an absolutely stunning farm. Subsequently, I've been reading your articles in The Telegraph and hearing a lot about you. I'm not entirely sure how you've spread yourself so thinly, which is another re- great reason that you've come today. But can you tell the listener a little bit more about what you do and what the Countryside Restoration Trust is all about? Very simply, my qualifications for talking about this are that I live next door to the house where I was born, right, right. on the farm where my father farmed for 50 years, in the village where I went to the village school, right. and I'm still on that farm, and it's a farm that I'm going to um, fall off my perch. Uh, despite the efforts to cover the whole area with concrete, we have resisted so far, and we've resisted the people who say, did you know your farmyard is in the village envelope? And I say, I, I'm on the planning committee, so I did know that, and I don't want six million, thank you very much, clear off. Yeah. Uh, and so we intend to keep farming. But because um, I was born and bred on the farm, don't need a degree to tell me that intensive farming has really, really screwed up wildlife. And so a lot of the things that I was appreciating at the age of five like looking across the brook and seeing a barn owl quartering the meadows in the evening, picking cowslips, seeing bee orchids, hearing stories about the otters, all that. All those things vanished. Our farm stayed the same. We were a little island and all around us prairie farming took place. Philip the prairie farmer is not limited to Herefordshire. It's all over Britain, these, these hooligans. They really let loose on their toy tractors. And, uh, and it, was, it was mayhem. And so I had Control a couple... Control yourself. <laughs> and so a couple of good friends I developed. My father wouldn't let me go on the farm because I was second son. So I began writing and I got very friendly with Gordon Benningfield, the artist from Hertfordshire and Lawrence van der Post and they'd got the same problems with what was going on in Britain as, as me. And in a nutshell, we decided to form the Countryside Restoration Trust to try and buy over-intensively farmed land and farm it in a more sustainable and wildlife-friendly way, bring the wildlife back. 
right, right. On that farm, which is now 400 acres, we've, we bought fresh land as the trust, which had nothing on it but wheat, wheat, wheat and wheat. We've now got barn owls. Barn owls are back after 50 years. We've got otters back. We've got highest density of skylarks in East Anglia. Yeah. Um, we've got corn buntings, reed buntings, grey partridges. The other day I saw 40 grey partridges on 400 acres. Uh, and so it goes on. We've got tremendous wildlife back. And so what we want to do now is get a farm of different type of farming all over Britain. And as you know, we've now got two farms in Herefordshire. We've got one at Turnerstone, not far from here. And we've got one at March Markle, which has got brilliant pedigree Herefords on it. And we want to try and bring the wildlife back to them too, because wildlife is disappearing here as well. Two species that I'm particularly worried about are the curlew and the lapwing or peewit. And Herefordshire used to be full of both yeah. uh, lapwings, breeding lapwings are now very scarce as I understand it. A few curlew about, but they're declining. And then you've got other birds like red starts, pied flycatchers, and birds like that which actually need our help. And so we do need to farm to make a profit, farm well, but we need to get the wildlife back, the traditional wildlife back. Right. And then we've just been given a dairy farm in Surrey. We didn't know whether to take it or whether not to take it because the government is in the pockets of the supermarkets and they're stitching dairy farmers up. We decided to go ahead, take the farm, see if we can make it pay because dairy farming, as it is carried out now, is a crime. Dairy farmers are having to intensify, they're having to get silage off all the year, all the ground nesting birds are chewed up dairy farms are becoming wildlife deserts and and the other thing is that I never wanted to run a charity but we've taken on the issues that the big conservation bodies like the RSPB avoid right they're the ones who should be saying what's happening to the dairy farms is wicked yeah. because it's affecting birds they read, don't um, seem to yeah, want to I, upset I read an these. article that you do written recently the Heather bought a cracking little magazine called the countryman from a yeah. local local garage and, uh, and you mentioned in there about your thoughts about the RSPB and the fact that they, had a, they, were, they were using a farm, contracted out farm, and they, you know, the, the kind of soul of the farm was... was yeah, yeah, exist. they got a farm in Cambridgeshire without a farmer. Right. Uh, a farm in Cambridgeshire without a farmhouse, or it's got a farmhouse, but it's empty. Yeah. And, you know, if you're talking about farming RSPB, then, for goodness sake, uh, include the farmer in the equation. Yeah. Uh, and the farmer and a family... because that's what it's all about. We want a living and a working countryside. We want a birdsong countryside, but we want people living and working in it too. We want a combination of it all. That's that's, that's the bare bones of the thing. That's what it boils down to, really. It's a balance between production and wildlife. I will tell you, we are challenging the RSPB to two debates this year. We challenge them to debate with the Countryside Restoration Trust at the Bird Fair, I think that's in July or August, and the Game Fair, July or August, and we want it to be called Killing the Countryside Through Kindness. I hope to be taking part, together with Dick Potts, who used to run the Game Conservancy, and a farmer called Philip Merrick, who's got a fantastic number of breeding lapwings on his farm. And we want to talk about the damaging effect of predators, 
from badgers to sparrowhawks to magpies mm. actually wiping out um, some well-loved, well-known species. And what do they do? They blame it all on the farmers. Well, sorry, it's not all the farmers. No, yeah, it's the magpies, right. it's the crows. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, la- it's a lack a minute, of it because, looking at you know, everything. Let's detail. give Farmer Phil a chance to reply to this idea that he's a prairie farmer from Robin because, of course, it seems to me that it's a great way of answering the debate. Well, of course, there's farming and farming. And, I mean, Robin knows as well as anyone that at the one end of the scale you've perhaps got what masquerades as a rotation, two wheats and oilseed rape and back to wheat. And then at the other end of the scale, which is probably more predominant in Herefordshire, you've got more mixed farming, which has got livestock in the system and so on. And mixed farming means mixed habitat, which means more wildlife. Now, you can get into an endless argument about the nitty-gritty of how you actually farm it, but at the end of the day, if you've got mixed habitats joined together by wildlife corridors, hedges, whatever, and a patchwork, which we're fortunate in Hereford to have, then you have a better chance of having that mix of wildlife, which I believe is part of the balance that is, or should be, food production. But if you go east into counties like Northamptonshire, Cambridgeshire, and over towards Norfolk, where the fields have been made huge by our standards, you know, 100 acre fields are not uncommon, there is no room for wildlife unless it happens to like wide open spaces. You add into that the problems of predation through legislation that stops the control of things like badgers, buzzards and so on, it's going to alter the balance. Yeah, this but farm, what about your farm? Our farm, when we came here for years and for, for some years then, we had curlews, we had lapwings as a child, not very far from here, we had loads of lapwings. But since 1996, I think, badger numbers have doubled. And badgers like nests. And the ground-nesting birds, the curlews, the lapwings, they weren't fussed about our farming because we've got grass fields, we've got cereal fields, we've got winter cropping, which obviously to a ground-nesting spring bird is fine. But when Mr Brock comes along and eats your eggs, you're knackered. And similarly, when you've got your little clutch of curlew chicks running along the tram lines in the cereal crop, and Mr Buzzard comes and has one every day until there are none left, or the crow has them, there is a problem with the balance, I think. Can, can I just ask you a question this? Because, you know, you've been a little bit rude about East Anglian farmers, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's fine, I haven't got a problem with that. But, you know, let's talk about... You, you are very kind to Herefordshire farmers and about their rotation. Ah, there are and and I, thought, I thought the Herefordshire rotation was based on the two Ps, uh, the potato and the polytunnel. Um, <laughs> so, Are there three Ps? What's that? Poultry, potato and polytunnel. Oh, causing really? the problem, apparently. Yeah, yeah. so come on. You I, know. I think that's, um, that's a fair comment. If we hadn't bought Turnerstone, all those lovely meadows would have been potatoes, potatoes. I think that, that is true. And the potato argument, we rent out a small percentage of ground on some rented land for potatoes but we don't grow potatoes ourselves, and our base unit we don't have potatoes on. There is an issue. Herefordshire happens to produce particularly good potatoes, and as you all know, that if you can plant potatoes into ground that hasn't had potatoes before, or certainly not for a long time, then you get away from a lot of the potato diseases, hence the driver to plough up virgin ground. That is a problem, and I don't really have a solution to it because it's a market-driven problem. You've managed to buck the trend in the case of Turniston. I've got a little quiz question for you. 
Last May, I went on holiday to the Isles of Scilly, which I love, 28 miles from Cornwall. And we went when the Cornish potato harvest was in full swing. Great. So where did the potatoes come from in the co-op on St Mary's in the Isle of Scilly when they could have come 28 miles? The new potatoes, you'll be very pleased to know, came from Egypt Mm. because obviously Egypt is easier for the co-op to move potatoes from than Cornwall. And the uh, other main potatoes... They came from Perth in Scotland. And do you think they had varieties of potatoes to offer? Doubtful. No, they weren't offering varieties of potato. They were offering baking potatoes, mashing potatoes and everyday potatoes. How balmy is that? But of course the the point is that those of us who know, and it's our job to make sure that the consumers get to know, know which varieties we want... And if you ask where your potatoes come from and the consumer makes the decision, do you feel that in the context of the Countryside Restoration Trust, which after all is is our chance to find out about, that you're wanting to change the general public's attitude to farmland? Oh, yes. And rather than the CRT telling the supermarkets their fortune, are you of the opinion, as I am, that educating the consumer in the hope that you can get the requirements back at the chain that way is the way to do it oh definitely i'm we have our supporters and we get reports from people all the time about how they're going into supermarkets saying we want local apples we want local potatoes we want but i think they it just bounces off them the key thing is profit and you know i was just really really depressed on my recent trip to kenya because I went past Polytunnel City that made Herefordshire look quite undeveloped. And what are they doing? They're growing beans and flowers and things yeah. for our supermarkets. Last summer, in the middle of our vegetable season, Tesco had got carrots from South Africa, beans from Kenya, and they had got various green vegetables from Zimbabwe, a country where 60% of the population can't get enough food. And I just despair at that. And so we are going to try and uh, get at the supermarkets because um, there are two schools of thought. Some say work with them. Others say slag them off. Um, Obviously, um, people like Prince Charles are doing a a lot of good things with Dutchie. But he's Prince Charles, and quite rightly, he's got influence. I don't think the supermarkets will give me two minutes, yet alone five minutes. There is, so there is movement there. I mean, you mentioned Waitrose, and they're coming along, and one feels that if they start, the others will follow. I won't say it'll happen immediately. And Prince Charles has done a lot of work with Waitrose. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right, because the thing that really wound me up over Christmas was the Marks and Spencer's food advert. It isn't just. <laughs> it's, it's milk chocolate. It wasn't, it was, it was spears of fresh asparagus, <laughs> all the yeah. way from Peru, so how the hell could it be fresh? Darling, um, you've gone there. on too long, right? So, one thing I'm quite sure that there will not be on sale this week in Marks and Sparks are squirrels. No. So You can bet your bottom yeah. dollar. <laughs> so we really want Robin to try our squirrel burgers out. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to come back next week to do that. So for this week, thank you, Robin, and I will go off and cook the squirrel burgers and it will take me a week 
to do that. You know what I mean, old mm. chum. Is that a slow cooker you've got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye from me. Thank you.